Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is September the 6th, and our chapter for today is Acts chapter 13. When we finished up chapter 10, Peter had witnessed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the first Gentiles to be saved, and that was at Caesarea Maritime, Caesarea by the sea. In chapter 11, all that Peter had done was questioned, and all that God had done through Peter was questioned. But Peter, standing bold, did not back down, told the leaders and the elders at Jerusalem exactly what happened, how it happened, and that it was God who had done it, and that was obvious by the signs and wonders that had happened, and also that they received the same Spirit in the same way as what happened on the day of Pentecost, and the group most assuredly gathering that indeed God had opened up the door to the Gentiles that they may be saved just like the Jews. And then Barnabas and Saul went to Antioch. And then we have a parenthetical chapter, as it were, about the persecution, the backstory of while all of this was going on, persecution was rising from the Herod family. Now, you remember that Herod is a family name, and then they had all kinds of names, just like we do. And Herod, the king, this would have been the nephew of Herod Antipas, who killed John the Baptist, beheaded him, and the grandson of Herod the Great, the man who would have killed the babies around Bethlehem at the birth of Jesus. Now, this was a wicked family. As a matter of fact, Augustus, Octavian, as he was first known, said that it was better to be Herod's pig than it was his son or a family member. He killed his wife. He killed his son. He would kill anyone who threatened him because he was a paranoid schizophrenic. The older he got and the longer he lived, uh, the more paranoid he became. Well, that was also true of his family. And so here is this Herod that began to persecute the church. He put Peter in prison. Peter was freed. And then uh, Herod experienced a horrible death in Caesarea Maritime because it says now that Herod had been uh, very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, and they asked for peace because of their country was supplied by the food from the king's country, that is, from uh, Judea. And so on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting the voice of a God, not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. You see, God gives a man mercy and grace, and then there is a point when even God says that's enough. But the word of God grew and multiplied after this. You see, his persecution lit a fire of evangelism so that everywhere that the people went, 
You see, they took Jesus with them because the Holy Spirit, Christ in them, was going along, and Jesus was their life. They had been redeemed now. They knew the rest of the story that the prophets had been telling. And then at the close of chapter 12, where this killing of Herod by the Lord, by the angel of the Lord, was recorded, then it says in verse 25 of chapter 12, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And so you're talking about John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Then it begins in chapter 13, our chapter for today. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, now this is Antioch, uh, which was a common name for a city during these days and during the Greek days, because Antiochus was a family name that was handed down and handed down through the generations from son to son to son. And there was Antioch in Pisidia, which we will look at just a little later. That is in modern-day Turkey. But this was Antioch, which was in northern Syria. It was on the Orontes River. It's a beautiful, beautiful place then and now. So the people were gathered there because folks had scattered from Jerusalem and they had gone to all of these different places. And one of the places they had taken root as Jews was on this Orontes River in this beautiful city of Antiochus or Antioch. Now, in the church that was at Antioch there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, by the way, his name, Barnabas, means son of encouragement, son of consolation, because he was such an encourager and such a gifted man in so many ways. He encouraged the people. Simeon, who was called Niger. Then there was Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, that's Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul. Now, as they ministered to the Lord, that is, as they served the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That is, it wasn't just a call upon Saul and Barnabas's life. God let the others know that as well. And let me just stop here for just a moment for just a short word on the call of God upon your life. Listen, one of the sure signals that God's call is upon your life is when others vindicate that. You see, when God calls a people, he always does that in a way for the other people of God that it's no surprise if God calls a person to preach or to be a missionary. Rarely is that a surprise to the spiritual people and those who are discerning. Why? Because they've had their senses of discernment exercised over the years. And as a mature believer, they will rarely be surprised if someone says, God has called me to preach. God has called me to be a missionary in a particular place or whatever the case is. And so this was the case there. And so the Bible says, then they, having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and sent them away. And is this amazing how much fasting and prayer go hand in hand together? These are seasons. Uh, these are time periods in a person's day or their week or their month or their life when they fast before God so that they're not eating, they're doing without, so that they can concentrate and their digestive system will not be involved in digestion, which makes one sleepy and lethargic. 
but rather sharp and alert. Why? Because you're sensitive to God's Spirit, and is the case, if you're fasting and praying, that means you're doing that with the Word of God. That is, you are reading it, you're listening to it, you are ruminating on it. If you are doing something else, you're thinking about it over and over again. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, which was a port named after Seleucus uh, or Seleucius, who was one of the generals of Alexander the Great and who was given jurisdiction over this part of the world at that time. When they arrived in Salamis, all of these places that we're going to be talking about here are known places where we know where they are today. I have been on uh, the island of Cyprus on more than one occasion and have walked Salamis from one end to the other, which it was a very large city. The ruins are magnificent there. They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their assistant, whose surname was Mark, of course. Now, when they had gone through the island of Tapaphus, that's the other side of the island from where they would have landed. Now, all of this, again, is just known geography to those people who lived in the area. Remember, every Bible writer from Moses to John assumed that the people to whom they were writing understood the history, the geography, the language, and the cultural customs of the day. So in verse 6, when it starts laying out where they had been, and verse 4 and 5, where they'd been, where they'd gone, everyone knew how to get there. And so they went into the synagogue of the Jews. This is why they always did. And when they had gone through the island to Paphos, which was on the other side of the island, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. That means son of Jesus. It's Aramaic. And it would have been Bar-Yeshua. He was with the proconsul. His name was Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name translated, that is Bar-Jesus, that would have been what it would have been translated into the Greek language, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also Paul, this is the first time we encounter this, who is also Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. Wow. You enemy of all righteousness. Wow. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Is there a time to speak bluntly and openly? Yes. When the devil is present and his demons are beginning to cause problems for the people of God. You see, you don't have to go out and look for demons. When you're doing the Father's work, they'll find you because you'll run into them. And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. Why, he saw all this. He knew this was God. And when he saw what he had done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So God used Barnabas and Saul and their teaching and preaching of the word, but also he validated that. That scripture that they were teaching them, remember the New Testament hadn't been written. This was the Tanakh. This was the law and the prophets and the writings. God validated that indeed this was a new day, a new era. And now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, notice it says now when Paul, 
So Luke gives the place where Saul of Tarsus became known as the Apostle Paul as a regular way of doing things and calling him by his name, Paul. This was a new beginning for Paul. Now, many would say that it was Sergius Paulus, his convert there, as to why he was named Paul. I very much doubt that. Could that be the case? Yes. I think it's a very much of a long shot because many times those that were born into households like Saul of Tarsus, which was a wealthy household, he, he was his dad was a tent maker. That's why he was a tent maker. They made a good living, no doubt, selling these tents made of this special wool of Cilicia. It had its own name, its own brand. It was a highly sought-after, coveted wool. It was from a particular type of sheep. And they made these tents, and they were waterproof and all of the things that you would want. They were warm when they need to be warm. They were cool when they need to be cool. And the Roman army, we have records of them buying these kinds of tents from locals. And so that's what they did. They had a contract with the army, no doubt. That was why he could afford, that is, Saul's daddy, to send him to Jerusalem to study under the great Gamaliel. And that's what he did. And so Paul had grown up as a privileged person because he was also a Roman citizen because his father was. And so he was born as a Roman citizen, and he had great privileges with that that many of the Jews and many of the other people of his day did not. And so this is just the background. But many times, if you grew up in a home uh, that was dealing with Romans all the time, then you would have a Hebrew name, Saul, and then a Roman name, Paulus, Paul. I believe he had two names, and he just chose, since he was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to go by his other name, his Roman name, rather than that of his Jewish name. When he needed that name, he used it. When he didn't, he didn't. You see, that's the way God does. God gives us many experiences, many credentials, many backgrounds, so that we can use those in any way that is helpful for the gospel. I'm not talking about being hypocritical. I'm not talking about saying something that's not so, but emphasizing a certain truth about yourself in order to reach people that otherwise you could not reach or to gain credibility with that which you could not gain credibility. And this is just a principle all the way through Scripture. I've experienced that in my own life. Friends of mine have experienced that. Colleagues have experienced that. Uh, In the academic world, this takes place. In the corporate world, this takes place. In the church, it takes place. And we use our various backgrounds and parts of our lives are needed. And when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departed from them, and he returned to Jerusalem. That is, he didn't want to be a part of it anymore. It was a wearisome journey. It was probably more than he had expected, and he sailed back or went back to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. Here's this name again, Antioch. Now, Pisidia was a province inside of what is modern-day Turkey. And they went into the synagogue on Shabbat day and sat down, and after the reading of the Law and the Prophets. Now, again, this is a Jewish book. 
even though Luke was a writer, he was writing about what went on, and they always went into the synagogues first. Why? Because the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And these were preaching points where they could get in and preach the gospel because of Paul's background, Saul of Tarsus' background. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. That means he was his protege. He was to take over after him. And so this was as natural as it could be. They went in the synagogue and they went over the Torah portion for that week. That's what's called the parashah. And then the Haftorah, which is the prophets, the portion of the prophets that was chanted to go along with the law. There's reasons for that. But what you have here in verse 15 of chapter 13 is just a standard procedure in the synagogue systems then. And many times the same ritual is followed The same Haggadah, this order of service is still followed today. And so it says, The rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. They knew who Paul was. Paul had introduced himself, no doubt, and he began at verse 16, and he got their attention, and he spoke with great eloquence as a teacher of the law. That's what he had been. And you get that all the way down, all the way down to verse 14. 41, Paul is preaching a message, and we have the summary of that. And then verse 42, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words uh, might be uh, preached to them the next Shabbat. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, persuading them to continue in the grace of God. And on the next Shabbat, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. Now, isn't this an amazing thing? And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. And when Paul and Barnabas grew bold, they said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you rejected and judge yourselves unworthy of the everlasting life, in other words, that they were talking about, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. Now I'll cover that more when we get into the book of Ephesians. But what I want to say to you now is in this regard, many times people will say that, well, you see there, they turned away from the Jews. The Jews rejected the gospel, just like they rejected Jesus. So God's finished with them. Well, if you'll notice many times in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas would even shake the dust from off their feet of a certain synagogue or a certain city of the Jewish people. But if you stop reading there, you've missed the point. They go to the next city. They go right back to the Jews, right back to the synagogue. Why? Because it's to the Jew first. And just because one group of Jews reject the message of Jesus doesn't mean all will. So they continued on their journey in trying to help the Jews to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. This is verse 49. But the Jews, always envious, they began to stir up trouble. And this is just the way it is. It's still the way it is in cities today. When God starts moving, the religious people and the people even of the same stripe and sect that you are, whether you're Baptist or Methodist or whatever the case is, Bible Church, Calvary Road, Calvary Chapel, Calvary, 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 whatever it is, you will find out 
that people, even within your own ranks, will be very jealous if God begins to use you because that is part of sinful nature that we've not overcome yet. But I want you to understand that this is the beginning of the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, and we will summarize 14 when we get into chapter 15 in the next podcast. But for now, this is Tony Crisp. I'm glad we're on the way together. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.